I'm going to take just a few minutes and talk about an encouragement for making the kind of choices you have to make to be sustained in ministry and, and to give some guidance for how you make those choices. It seems to me that in order to both get started in a life of ministry or mission and to stay on the road for decades, you have to think a certain way about decision-making, about choices that you can make. And I, I have in mind just hundreds of choices, not just, just a few big ones like your vocation or your, your spouse or your, where you're going to live or go to school. I mean, just daily choices about whether you take this course or read this book or make this visit or make this phone call, just thousands of choices that you make and how you go about that, how you think about that. And I have, I put it in an acronym, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, (laughs) as a word. There's a word that begins with each of those letters, and uh, that will take us 15 minutes or so, and so we'll We'll go at it. So here's, here's my strategy for helping you stay in ministry when you have to make hundreds of choices that are sometimes so perplexing you don't know what to do. A, answer the call of God, yes. So let's just start there. We've already heard John pray it. I'm yours. When, when I, and I have in mind here the call of God to be his to be his. I assume that's happened to you in this room. He has called you to be his, and you've said, I am yours. And I have in mind the call to follow him in decisive ways. And this morning it was going across a culture for a longer season. So that's the the answering of a, a prompting of a call. And so we begin with simply A, Answer the call of God, yes. Whenever you discern that God is leading in a certain way, answer it, yes. Now, that just creates the problem. That doesn't solve any problems. That just creates the problem of how do you discern that and how do you stay in it and how do you keep making decisions that keep you on that track. So here's B. Believe what the Bible says. And what I have in mind here is not merely that you're searching through the Bible for concrete directions for a particular decision, what I have in mind is believe it all so that when you can't find in it the particular guidance for any particular decision, you find many other good things that give you stability for that moment of of uncertainty and indecision. Because Paul said, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. So everything in the book is stabilizing and strengthening and guiding and shaping for decisions, even when those things don't have directly to do with those decisions. So if you're right now facing some choice and you can't figure it out, Just keep in the book. Believe what's in the book. Stay in the book because the things in the book that don't directly relate to it will relate to it one way or the other in stabilizing and strengthening and purifying, giving hope to your heart. So that's B. Believe everything that's in the book. Here's C. 
as the decision has to be made, whatever it is, big or little, confess your sense of inadequacy and your need of Christ. So you're facing a decision. It's perplexing. You're not quite sure what the absolutely perfect will of God is. And at that moment, you should just be totally honest to God and say, I don't know. I can't figure this out. I don't have the resources. I line up the pros and cons. They don't make a clear answer. I've counseled with people. I'm not getting a clear word. I need you. And Jesus said, John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing. You should just tell him that. I can't do this. I can't make this choice. I don't know what to do. I need you. And I just face that kind of thing all the time. I'm facing one right now with regard to one of my children. I got a phone call the other day, which you don't need any details. It's just a decision we all have to make about some need in, in that family. And I'm right now very perplexed about how I can be a, the best dad here. I was really perplexed. And yet, a decision has to be made. It's doing nothing is a decision. <laughs> and you can't do nothing. So you're going to face hundreds of these in your life. Just hundreds where, where you're going to face a choice you have to make and you don't know which is the, the ideal choice. So just tell him that. Just tell him that and say, I need you. I don't have the resources here, here, out, out there. I need you. Let's see. Confess you have uh, an, an inadequacy in yourself and a need for him. D, decide. <laughs> Make a choice. Take a step, open a door, read a book, take a class, enter a conversation. You, you cannot stay in limbo. You make a choice. You move. I was meditating uh, this morning on, as I was driving north, just trying to fill my mind with some Bible. I quoted to myself, uh, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then he follows it with, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the, the, the children of God. Okay. okay, if by the Spirit I put to death some temptation or some sin, if, if I yield myself to the Spirit and become his instrument by which I put to death, you see who's putting to death? We put it to death by the Spirit. We put it to death by the Spirit. So I'm choosing. I'm making an action here, but I'm leaning consciously on the Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death. And then he, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. As if, what he means by leading, I've already read that quickly as, what, like lead me in missions or lead me in some some. A choice I have to make about where to go or what to do. And, and in the context is lead me into warfare with sin by the Spirit. So if by the Spirit I put to death the deeds of the body, for all who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. So being led by the Spirit is trusting in the enabling power of the Spirit as I make a choice to make warfare on my sin or any other choice, for that matter, in which I'm leaning on the Spirit. So you have to choose. You have to make a decision. And in that moment, you're saying, I'm not sure, but Holy Spirit, take charge. I trust you to give me wisdom and counsel here and to protect me from some stupid mistake. I must choose. Here I go. 
One of the stories in the Old Testament, I just love because of this, because, I mean, if this sounds odd to you, just indulge a pastor who's facing imponderables all the time. David comes back from that horrific experience of his son Absalom rebelling against him, drove his own dad out of the city. He says to Joab, be merciful to my son Absalom. Joab kills him ten times over. How David and Joab got along, I have no idea. But Absalom is dead. David is victorious. He's coming back. And you remember Ziba and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the son of Saul, crippled in his feet, and David loved him and said, you will sit at my table because he loved Jonathan, and for Jonathan's sake and Saul's sake, he's going to have Mephibosheth at his table the rest of his life. Ziba was Mephibosheth's servant and lied about him. He said to David, he went over to Absalom's side because he said, now I'll have the kingdom back. That wasn't true. That wasn't true, but Phibosheth was one of his most loyal followers. Now here comes David back into the city, and he meets Mephibosheth. He hadn't shaved. He hadn't changed his clothes. He was doing constant prayer towards God for David. And David said, why didn't you go with me? And he said, my mule and my feet. And he lied about me, and he arranged so that I couldn't come. And he, he's, he's conspired against you, God. Now, what would you do if you were David? He didn't know which was true. He didn't know. He's got a kingdom to run. He can't take two weeks to work on this. Remember what he said? This is 2 Kings 19, 29. I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. 50-50. That was a lousy decision. I think. 50% of the inheritance went to a liar. Because David had to decide. You ever feel like that? I do all the time. You have to decide. God, I don't think God looked at David and said, stupid idiot, you should have taken three weeks to do all the research necessary. He knew he couldn't. This, this kingdom is unraveling in his hands. He has to make decisions, split decision after decision all day long. You've got to have mercy on, on presidents. Okay? Be real slow. Be real slow. They got the whole world in their hand, as it were. And from our little comfortable zones, we're going to pick and... So all that to say, decide. That's the D. Decide. You have to decide. Don't stay in limbo. Make choices in your life. All right, that's D. E. Expect criticism from others and from yourself for your criticism. I mean, for your decision. Expect criticism from others. You have never made a perfect decision in your life. And even the perfect ones get criticized. And you yourself will doubt what you just did. You've just chosen a roommate and find out he's just totally messy and whatever. You've just taken a course and it turns out the teacher's just a loser. You've just signed up for this. and You've just made all kinds of choices. And you get into it and say, oh, man, that was just terrible what I'm into now. Be prepared for that. It's going to happen. It's going to happen all the time that choices you made, doing the best you could, wind up to put you in situations that are so annoying or imperfect or compromised, and you're there and you're stuck. Expect that. E, fight against the paralysis of guilt in those 
moments. Fight against the paralysis of guilt. God may not (coughs) improve of the fullness of all that you did there. And Satan, however, has a very different agenda than God's. God's is not to paralyze you and ruin your life. Satan's is. He wants you to become guilt-ridden and paralyzed and unable to move on in life because of a decision that looks now as though it wasn't the best decision after all. And I'm saying fight the paralysis of guilt. And again, this morning from my devotions, I saw something that I had never, never thought about completely in this way before. I was reading 1 Timothy chapter 1 and noticed something. Do you remember from Galatians that Paul said he was set aside for the ministry from his mother's womb? Remember that? So Paul says that God had set him aside in his mother's womb to be an apostle. Think about that. I suppose he was somewhere around 30 years old, maybe, when he got saved on the road to Damascus. I'm just kind of guessing. We don't know, but 20 or 30 years, at least 20, probably 30, went by between birth and conversion. Now, what's he doing during that time? He's killing Christians. He says so in Acts 9. He's blaspheming the Lord Jesus. He's holding the coats of the people who stoned the most godly man that was alive at the time, Stephen. He's making war on the cause of Christ. He's kicking against goads. And he's a chosen instrument that's going to be the greatest missionary that ever was. And Jesus is watching him do all this. Now, you should ask, why? I mean, if you choose him in the womb, save him quick. Avoid the mess, right? I mean, knock him off a horse earlier. If you're going to knock him off a horse and get his attention with a supernatural light, that'll get him at any age. Why not? And he he tells us exactly why. It's one of the clearest sentences in the Bible. This is 1 Timothy 1, uh, 16. I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I was praying with people last night after the service, several, and, and some, a couple, uh, felt like life was just such a mess, there was no future for them. And this text is unbelievably precious for those people. The point here on um, fight against the paralysis of guilt is the term that Jesus might show his perfect patience. That's a beautiful phrase. Why did he wait so long to save the Apostle Paul? So that Paul could tell the story to murderers and rapists and blasphemers that they have not sinned themselves away from grace. Because he killed people and imprisoned people and blasphemed against the holy name and Jesus 
patiently was letting it happen for purposes that we don't need to fully understand, but this is one of them. So he's patient with you. Think, think as you're being paralyzed by the guilt of the choice that you just made. No, no, no. He has not thrown me out. He's not done with me yet. He is patient. He is perfectly patient. He's 30 years long with Paul patient, and he will help me again if I, if I ask him. So that's, that's F, fight against the paralysis of guilt when you've made a choice that looks to you like it wasn't ideal, and it wasn't probably. G, glorify Christ with the imperfect state you are in. Now, this may be the most important. This is kind of where this devotion started. On this point is where it started. Because over and over and over in my life, I have found myself having moved into a situation or chosen some course of action where now, in it, I say, I think there was some sin in getting myself here. Let's say I agree to write an article for a magazine. And I agree a year ahead of time. And now the deadline is a week away and I have to write it. I do not want to write it. I don't feel like writing it. And I look back and I say, you know what? You probably accepted this for vain reasons. You, you, were, you were just thinking about getting an article published and, and that was just crummy. And here you are stuck with it, okay? Now that's just a, one example of a hundred that you might find yourself in. You know that you're there and 70% was well-motivated and 30% was stinking vanity. Or it might be 70-30 the other way. Now, now what? Call the editor and say, I, I can't because I'm an imperfect, sinful person. I say, take the 30 or 70% that was good. And some of it was good. You weren't, you know, totally wrong. You just were a lot wrong. And take that and say, God, I'm sorry for the, the lousy motives that got me where I am right now. Would you take the, the, the part of this that is good and now bless it? Would you make me write something for this article? Give me the grace to write something that you, in spite of all my lousy motives, would be used for your holy name. I just think the Lord loves to do that. I think he does it all the time. So the point there is the G is glorify Christ with the, the fragment of goodness in the state you're in. You got yourself into a situation. Say you, you joined a mission and you joined it for r- lousy reasons. You thought it had a big name and a good financial package and would take care of its people. And you get out there and you're a bunch of, with a bunch of half-baked, unspiritual, liberal missionaries. And you look at that and say, this is, this is hopeless. This is, I'm, I'm going to go home tomorrow. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe now that you've seen, okay, I want to serve Christ. I love Jesus. I want to see people saved. Yes, I was worried about my retirement. And yes, I was worried about health insurance. And yes, I got caught up in the name of the institution. And, and so now what is it? 50, 60? I mean, 40, 60? What, I don't know, Lord, but I'm sorry. But now, now, oh Christ, in this situation, I want to make your name great. Would you help me? 
I just think people, Jesus is picking us up in those situations all the time. He's just picking us up in those situations all the time and blessing us, making us a blessing from that moment on with that situation that we got ourselves into by having imperfect motives. So that's G, glorify Christ in the imperfect state. And then finally, H, hope always that the best is yet to come. Because for the Christian, it is. Age 16, 56, 66, 86, the best is always yet to come. Deathbed, best is always yet to come. That's an awesomely liberating thought. So here I am. This is my last Missions in the Mans as pastor. Maybe I'll be back. If they invite me to do one of these someday. <laughs> um, and I'll tell you what I was praying the other morning. I, I'm reading through Second Kings. And... Uh, the handoff between Elijah and Elisha caught my attention, of course, right? <laughs> and uh, Elijah's going to be taken up in a, in a uh, chariot of fire. And Elisha says, I'm going with you. And he says, no, you should wait at the river. He says, I'm not waiting at the river. I am going with you to the end. And he says, okay. And he said, ask what you will. He said, I want a double portion of your blessing. I want a double portion of your blessing. And he watches the chariots of Israel and the horses of fire carry his his prophet into heaven. And he goes back with the blanket in his hand, the cloak in his hand, slaps it on the river and says, where's the God of Elijah? And the river divides. (laughs) Whoa, that's awesome. Now, this is is really a story about Jason, okay? But, um, But here's the way I applied it to myself. I said, Lord, I... Ask you at age 66, as I leave this particular role at Bethlehem, that you would give me a double portion of the last 30 years on the next season. Because I believe the best is always yet to come. I don't know what that's going to look like in any detail. If God wants, He can just come down and touch me or touch my situation, touch a book, touch a a talk, touch uh, a teaching in in BCS. He could just, at any moment, he could touch and boom, it's the greatest thing I've ever done. It's the greatest moment of my life. It's the greatest ripple effect in the world. I have no idea. Or I might just vanish, you know. I could, I was driving back from the North Campus today in my little yellow, see my yellow car? It's really cool. My wife chose the car. I'm driving my yellow, little yellow Toyota and I reached over to, to get something, and I swerved, and the car went, Zoom! I said, whoa, that was close. And the rest, of the, the rest of the way home, I'm dreaming about rolling my car <laughs> and what that would be like to just go home in a rolled car on the way home from a missions weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor dies on the way home from, from preaching in missions conference. That's awesome. So one, one way or the other, one way or the other, it's... He, it's going to be the best. It's going to be the best. So H is whatever you've gotten yourself into and all the choices that you have to make, hope that the best is yet to come. So, Father, I pray that these little suggestions to keep these folks moving and not let them get paralyzed and not let them wear out and not let them be so overwhelmed by the complexities of decision-making in life that they don't that they stop. Don't let them stop, Lord. Keep their hands on the plow 
and help them to move through and out of perplexing situations, making one decision after the other, leaning on the Holy Spirit, apologizing and confessing for all the inadequacies, making the present moment count for your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.